Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's going on here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. That's not an easy thing to do, to talk about some of the most intimate and private and most powerful moments in a person's life. And they did it in the hopes that it would encourage someone else in the room, because I think many people in the room can relate to their story. You've kind of been there. Some of you have little angels here on the earth and one or two little angels in heaven today. And one of these days, that circle that is broken here on the earth will not be broken anymore. The Bible talks about the hope of heaven as the blessed hope. When Paul said that, he said, that is a hope you have, though your heart is breaking, though you're in the midst of grief. It is a hope that you have that lifts your spirit. It's to know that one day we'll step from the temporal into the eternal to say good night down here, to say good morning up there, and we'll be reunited forevermore with those that have gone before us. That's what keeps us going. It is that blessed, blessed hope. So I'm so grateful to them for sharing their story. And in this series, we've been talking about how we grow through what we're going through. (laughs) And I'm telling you, it's amazing how many people you talk to are going through something. I promise you the person next to you, in front of you, behind you right now, if you knew their story, you would know they're going through something. We don't get out of this world unscathed. Everybody in the room is dealing with something, some type of pain in your life, some type of issue in your life. Some of you are dealing with issues that we call wounds, things that are there that are hurtful and painful that never seem to heal. That God just simply gives you grace and he helps you uh, get through it and you just learn how to deal with it and be stronger from it. And sometimes that's how God deals with the pain that's in our life. We just get better and we get stronger and we find a way to get through it. And this morning along that line and in that theme, I wanna talk to you about how pain can be used in our lives to to mature us, to mature us. What I mean by that is no one goes through anything and comes out on the other side exactly the same. Pain will do one of two things in your life, it will turn you to God or turn you from God. And a lot of people have turned from him before they turn to him, and I understand that. I understand that sometimes with cause of the difficulties and stresses and pains and the sorrows of life, sometimes when God doesn't respond and when he doesn't answer the prayer in the way we thought he would, when he doesn't do it in the timing that we thought he would, we get disillusioned with that. We get disoriented with that. I mean, you hear a preacher sometimes get up and say, oh, if you walk with God, you'll never have these kinds of problems. And if you have these kinds of problems, something must be wrong with your faith. And so all of a sudden you scratch your head and you say, I'm doing the best I know how to do in my faith. So then you get disillusioned thinking, well, then God is just unjust. He's unfair because it doesn't matter how close I walk or how how, uh, faithful I try to be. I'm still going through what I'm going through. So it's easy to get confused. And I certainly understand why some people turn from God before they, they turn to him. But pain has a way of, of changing us in the sense that it, 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 we, we don't suffer fools as gladly <laughs> in some cases. Sometimes it changes us in the way that we get new perspective. Things that we may have gone off on someone at one point, now we kind of dismiss. We learn to pick our battles because <laughs> of what we've gone through. So it does, in fact, change us. The the pain has a power that can be used for good in our lives. You've heard the expression, you get, what is it? You get bitter or you get better, right? We've heard that. 
And I'm just convinced this morning that God is truly sovereign. He is in control. He does have a plan. And I do believe this, God loves us more than we love us. And his love is powerful and often it's not understood or difficult even to explain. It just is. And so in that trust of God and in that great love of God, we have to realize pain is something he uses in our life to mature us. In fact, let me show you a verse and then I wanna go to a narrative that I wanna share with you before we go home. But in 1 Peter chapter five, if you have a Bible, look there. If not, we have it for you here on the screen. In 1 Peter chapter five, verse 10, the Bible here says, and after you have suffered a little while, uh, you're going to go through something. Uh, We've said pain is inevitable, it is inescapable. The Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. Everyone goes through something at some point in time. And he's saying, after you've gone through this process, the God of all grace, and that's a beautiful expression, it's a wonderful term. In 1 Corinthians, he calls him the God of all peace. The Bible is called, he's called the God of all comfort. Here he's called the God of all grace. God is going to give you grace to get through what you're going through. So he said, this God who has all grace, uh, he will call you to his eternal glory in Christ. Notice how you will mature. Notice what will happen in your life when you've gone through this process of pain. He will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish. Four beautiful words. To restore, we get the word resetting a bone from that that, that word, that Greek word, restore. It's the same word Paul used in Galatians 5 when he says, if you're overcome, if you're taken in a fault, those who are spiritual should respond to you and restore you. It's the resetting of a bone. I don't know how many of you ever broken a bone. I don't know if you've ever gone through that. But would you agree with me, if you've ever broken a bone and you go to your doctor or you go to the hospital, the one thing you want them to be is very gentle. <laughs> very careful, you are hurting. And so many times when the church has been given this ministry of restoration, we're anything but that. We have people that walk through the doors of the church oftentimes and they're broken and the church looks at them and says, well, what did you do to be broken? You must have done something wrong. <laughs> I don't know, if you qualify for us to actually restore you, you might ought to take that that mess down the road, right? And they may not say that, but that's often the message that people who are broken feel when they walk into the doors of a church, when they don't sense an empathy or a connection with the people in that church. And part of the ministry of a church, ladies and gentlemen, is to restore broken people. It's the process that comes as a a result of pain. He says you'll be restored, not only restored, he talks about this idea of confirming you. He talks about this idea of strengthening you. He talks about this idea of establishing you, meaning he gives you a firm foundation. He gives you something solid to build your life on. And ladies and gentlemen, I don't want you to miss that. This is all a byproduct of pain. All of these positive benefits, all of these things that I've just mentioned, these four significant things in this passage are a direct result of the grace of God that's extended to people who are in pain. Now during Jesus' earthly ministry, he dealt with people in pain. He had disciples that went through difficulties and and he connected with people who were going through difficulties. Probably three of the closest people to Jesus in his earthly ministry uh, were a brother and his two sisters, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. They lived in a little town called Bethany. And oftentimes when Jesus was traveling, he would come to their house and hang out. It was a safe place, a fun place. You have a place like that you can go and just hang out? 
be with friends, safe place, fun place. He would hang out. In fact, in Luke 10, it talks about one occasion Jesus came and he just unex- uh, uh, unexpected, just a surprise, pop-in visit. He goes to see uh, Mary and, and Martha and Lazarus and he just sits down in the living room and starts talking about what's been going on in his world. And you read the narrative, uh, uh, Mary is sitting at his feet, Lazarus is in the room and they're just soaking it in. And I'm sure Jesus was talking about people he had touched and the individuals he had healed and those that he had drawn to himself and all the difficulty of life and all the things he had seen and experienced and how he was able to minister to people and they were enjoying that. But Martha, unlike Mary and Lazarus, the Bible says she's stressed out. Mr. Perfect is in her living room right now. He just came unannounced. So she's running around, I'm sure, dusting and cleaning and trying to figure out, what am I gonna feed Jesus? What do you feed Jesus? What's Jesus want? So she's looking at, well, I got a little leftover roast beef from last night. Do you feed Jesus leftovers? You know, uh, we call in pizza, but would, that, would you like pizza? I mean, I'm going with you on this. You know, I'm sure she's kind of wondering. She's, it's it's kind of in that narrative if you read it there in Luke 10. I'll provoke you to go read that later. But anyway, she's scurrying about, and finally she looks in the living room and sees Mar, uh, Mary and Lazarus. They're not stressed at all. Ladies, don't you hate to be stressed and your sister isn't? Don't you hate to be uptight and she's not? She's like, come on, what's wrong with you? You should be stressed and you're all chill. And so she says to Jesus, it's a beautiful thing. She says to Jesus, she says, Jesus, would you tell her to get up and come in here and help me? And I love the response of Jesus. You don't get inflection when you read the Bible, but I like, I, I like to think he may have said it like this. He said, Martha, Martha. <laughs> to give it to you in Texan, bless your heart. God love you, darling. Why don't you just come in here and sit down? Oh, why don't you just chill out a little bit? Just a sandwich, just some peanut. We got any peanut butter in there? I'm good with that. Listen, I'm not here for the food. I'm here for the fellowship. We're just here to hang. Come in here, chill out. My point with that story is this was a familiar place. This is where Jesus would come and hang out. And these were people who were so close to him. But when you fast forward over to John 11, here's what you see you see that something has happened in that house. One of the people closest to Jesus gets sick. And do you know people who are close to Jesus get sick? In fact, it's a sickness when you study the narrative that even the doctors of the day said, there's not much we can do. You know people who are close to Jesus sometimes face situations that the doctors even say, there's not much we can do. And so what happens in this incredible chapter of John 11 is you begin to get insight of how God is going to use this situation in the lives of these three people and particularly these two sisters to begin to develop their faith, to stretch them, to strengthen them, to mature them. And the first thing that I want to point out to you in John chapter 11, if you will look there with me briefly in verse three, is Jesus talks a little bit about the purpose of pain. I've studied this a lot of times, and this is not the first time I brought a message from this passage. But I can tell you every time before this moment that I have brought this message, I've always, as they say, stepped on the lead. I've kind of skipped over this and not really seen it or fully appreciated it because when Jesus gets word that Lazarus is sick, he speaks of the purpose of his sickness. And I don't know, as I was studying it this last week, for the first time, I just had this epiphany. I realized, wow, right up front, Jesus told them why this is happening. I don't think I'd ever seen this before. 
And so here it says, the sisters, Mary and Martha, sent word to Jesus. Now, understand, Jesus had been ministering. He was tired. He's in Jerusalem. They're in Bethany. That was about as far as here to (laughs) Chick-fil-A. Give you perspective. So he's not far away. So they sent word to him saying, Lord. And that's a beautiful word. It shows the relationship they had. Though they were friends, they recognized he's their Lord. In our vernacular, he's their leader, he's the boss, he's in charge. He's the significant one, he's the preeminent one. And so Mary and Martha do what everyone should do when you have a loved one that has a problem that, man, we don't know what to do, we've outpunted our coverage, doctors don't know what to do, so they turn to Jesus, right? I mean, it's what you do, right? You get bad news and the wheels of your life are coming off and, and you, you turn this way and that way, you try to find someone that can help you and it seems like no one understands, no one can really help you. So finally, you've turned from God, you turn to God and this is what the girls do. They, 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 they turn to Jesus. Lord, they say, he whom you love is ill. Jesus, this is your buddy. <laughs> this is Lazarus. This is God's been with you. He's your ride or die, man. This is Lazarus. He's been there all the time. He's your, he's your buddy. This is Lazarus. This illness is severe. But when Jesus heard it, he said, note now, this illness is not unto death. Here's the purpose. It is for the glory of God. Let's color it a little more so that the son of God might be glorified by means of it. That's the purpose. That's what I've missed every time I read it. Jesus told them as soon as he heard the purpose for their pain. Now, as we're going to see, it's gonna take them a little while to get to this. It's gonna take them a little while to understand this, but if I can explain what he was saying to them, he was saying the reason this is happening is so that God may be glorified so that he might be seen in and through your lives in a brighter, better way. What is the expression, the glory uh, that God may be glorified? Uh, It's a term, and if I can explain the definition of glory so you'd understand, the definition of glory, a good definition, I should say, of glory is, get this, quote, everything that God is. Everything that God is could be defined as being glorious. Unto him be glory in the church, meaning the church should be a reflection of everything he is. Loving, accepting, helping, restoring, strengthening. Everything God is should be reflected into the church, unto him be glory in the church. So if that's true of the church, then what he's saying here is this is happening so that God might be glorified through this experience. In other words, what Lazarus is going through and what you girls are going through is a process whereby people are going to see Jesus in a way they would have never seen him otherwise. I'm not saying it's easy. He wasn't saying it was easy. I'm not saying they're going to understand it as we'll see, they certainly didn't. But Jesus was telling them right up front, this is why it's happening. I'm gonna be glorified. And when you go to John nine, you see the man born blind. You remember who sinned? The parents or this boy that he should be born blind? God said neither one. But that the works of God might be glorified through him, meaning that God wanted to be a reflection. He wanted this young man's life to be a reflection of who he is. Romans chapter eight, verse 29. The Bible says we're in a process, here's here's the phrase, of being conformed into the image of his son. Meaning everything, including painful things, and sometimes especially painful things, become a process 
that involves God's purpose so that when we're through it, somebody can see a little bit of who Jesus is through my life. Somebody can see a little bit of who he is. So he puts it right out there. This is right up front. This is why this is happening, just so you know. There is a purpose. This is actually, uh, in, this is not accidental. This is incidental. This, this, there's a purpose for this. And so when you've gone through this process, I'm gonna be reflected in and through your life. So that was the purpose. Here's, here's the second thing. Not only the purpose, but understand it is a process. Nobody becomes into this, nobody comes into this world fully grown. It's a, it's a pro, growth is a process. And this maturing, this, this growing is a process and God is putting a, through a process and this process was a painful process. And what was so difficult, and when you read the narrative, you really see it, what was so difficult is this was happening in the house where people, where, where, where Jesus was worshiped. These people were worshipers. These people loved God. I mean, these people served him and they were available to him. And so this happened in the very house where Jesus was worshiped, where he was welcomed, where he was loved. So you can imagine all of a sudden how their heads were spinning. How can this happen? What is God doing? And I just suggest to you this morning, none of us really know how strong our faith is till it gets tested. You don't know how strong your faith is till it gets stretched a little bit. You really don't know what's in you till you get squeezed a little bit. That's why I said in Mark 7, it's not what goes into a person that defiles them, it's what comes out. When you leave here a little, a, little, a little while and you put your sanctified self in your car and you get out there on the road and somebody cuts you off and suddenly you say something, something comes out of you that's not real sanctified. Let me ask you a question. Did they put that in your heart or did they draw that out of your heart? The truth of the matter is, ain't true. it's there all the time. We just didn't know it till we got squeezed. And can I say something to you? We're all full of something. <laughs> we just don't really know what we're full of till we get bumped or squeezed. And sometimes when you get bumped and you get squeezed, what's in you comes out of you and sometimes you're shocked by what you see and all of this struggle they were having that was in there all the while, they just didn't see it. Do you know sometimes the biggest strugglers are also the biggest worshipers? Sometimes the people who love Jesus the most have had some of the deepest struggles with him. I know it sounds contradictory, but it's not. Mary sat at his feet, loved him, worshiped him, but let me tell you something, when Jesus doesn't show and he didn't show, she ain't happy. I mean, she's recounting, I'm sure in her mind, all the things she's done for him, all the ministry that they've offered him, everything they've done, and Jesus doesn't show. Now, part of my job as a pastor is what we call apologetics. It's a defense of the faith. It's when I come out and try to bring some clarity to difficult passages of scripture and just give you a different way of thinking about it. But every now and then, I come upon a passage like this, then Jesus never asked my opinion, by the way. But if he did, I would have said, you sure of that about not going? Are you sure? Don't, I mean, it's two miles. We, we got a good horse, we got a camel, carriage, I can get you, you don't have to walk. Lazarus is your boy. He's been there for you. He's your bud, man. He goes, you go, you thick. 
And you're not gonna go? Are you, are you, are you sure about that now, Jesus? Because I'm gonna have to come out and explain this to people later on. You're gonna make yourself look bad. And not only did he not go, he didn't even send one of the guys. I mean, he could have sent one of the guys down there and go, well, Jesus is tied up, you know, he's healing some people or whatever, uh, so I'm here representing Jesus. He doesn't go. He no-shows. And I suggest to you that the reason he doesn't show, he stays, in fact, longer where he was, is because he was kicking them into a painful process that was necessary for their spiritual growth. He was putting them out there on the water where they're gonna learn how to walk. He was sending them out into a storm where they were gonna learn to have faith. He was putting them into a difficult circumstance so they could see, even though I'm a worshiper, my faith may not be as strong as I thought it was. I've got room to grow. There's, there's areas in my life that need to mature. And boy, they're in this painful process. So he doesn't show. He doesn't go. In fact, the third thing, when he finally does come, you see something of the providence that shows up, his providence in this situation. He finally comes. But when he gets there, Lazarus is already dead. In fact, both the sisters don't even go out to greet him. <laughs> There's nobody scurrying around the kitchen getting him a sandwich this trip. They're upset. And I've told you before, there's nothing worse than when the upright get uptight. And they are upset. I mean, there's nobody sitting at his feet saying, tell us about what you did in Jerusalem. None of that's happening. In fact, here, here's the response. She, she says to him, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And can I tell you, that's true. That's true. By the way, he didn't even have to go. He could have just willed it and it would have happened. He could have healed him long distance. He could have fired healing off a rock and hit him on a ricochet. He's that good. I'm just saying he didn't even have to show. She knew that. But she's upset. She, this doesn't, in other words, this doesn't make sense. Why? Why did you let this happen? Where were you? I mean, when I needed you at the most difficult time of our life, it was just like the heavens are brass and I'm praying and I don't feel like it's reaching you and you're not responding to me. And you see this desperation that's in her soul. And I can tell you, every one of us in the room have been there at some point in time. You just wonder what's going on? Why this and why her and him and why now? And what, 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 what? You get nothing. And Jesus, four days later, he came to where they were. Now you and I look at this and we would say he was late four days. But he looks at it and he says, I'm right on time. You know why? Because his timing is different than mine. His ways are different than mine. Isaiah demanded, God, explain yourself. And finally, God said to Isaiah, Isaiah, as high as the heavens are above your head, so high are my ways above yours, and my thoughts are above yours. What he was saying is, Isaiah, if I could explain it to you, you wouldn't understand it, you wouldn't agree with it, so Isaiah, trust me. What he was saying to Mary and Martha in that moment is, you, you don't agree with it, I get it. You don't understand it, and I'm okay with that, but you're gonna have to trust me. You know what's incredible about the love of God? 
It is so strong for you and so strong for me that he'll allow us to question him. His love is so strong for us that he will allow us to disagree with him. His love is so strong for us that he will allow us to be angry with him. Isn't that amazing? He doesn't just look at Mary and go, hey, if I kept you out of hell, that ought to be good enough. Anything else above that line is just a bonus, chick. Deal with it. (laughs) He didn't do that. He could have. And we would have all said, well, that's harsh, but that's true. But he didn't go there. He understood she was struggling. Her heart was broken. He understood she loves him, though she does not understand him. And, and, And though she's struggling, she's still holding on to this faith that she has in him. And you see that in this expression. Jesus said to her, I'm still the resurrection and the life. And the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Now that sounds a little confusing, so let me explain. He's saying that a person genuinely believes in me, they may die physically, but they don't ever die. They don't ever cease to be. There's no cessation of their existence. When God breathed into the nostrils of man the breath of life, man became an eternal soul. There'll never be a moment when you no longer exist. Now you may outlive your body. (laughs) This body will return one day to the earth, ashes to ashes and dust to dust. Unless Jesus comes back, we're probably not gonna get out of this thing alive. (laughs) So at some point we outlive these bodies, these bodies return to the earth, but literally what happens for the soul? The soul is eternal. That part of me that is me is not the body. It's my spirit, it's my soul, that's my life. And one day, my spirit and soul will step out of this body and I'll become, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, I'll be absent from this body and I'll be present with the Lord. That's what happened to Lazarus. He sunk back in that pillow on that bed, took his last breath, and the angels just bore his soul into the presence of Jesus, absent from the body, present with the Lord. He was in the presence of God. And Mary was understanding that. He said, Jesus, I understand. He says, do you believe this? Don't don't you believe this? You've heard me teach this. And I love her expression. Yes. And what does she call him? Lord. With her anger, with her confusion, with, with, with her disillusionment, she still acknowledged, you're still my Lord. I'm hurt at you. I don't agree with you. I don't think it's fair but I still love you. Have you ever been there? Hmm. Have you had one of those experiences where you're hurt at him, you don't agree with him, but you still love the Lord? (laughs) That's where she was. What was happening? Her faith was growing. He said, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into this world. You know what happened for her? Point one. God, I believe you're being reflected somehow in and through my life. I believe you are who you said you are. You know what the beautiful thing about his providence comes from a a, a two words, pro video. It's not an ability I have. Providence is pro video. It means to see ahead. You don't have that ability and I don't. He does. He said, I'm the alpha and the omega. I'm the beginning and the end. He sees the engine from the caboose. God looks down and he says, I see how your life is tracking and I'm gonna send you through some rough roads, some deep water. You're gonna go through a valley and over some mountains. But I know what's best, trust me. Hang in here. Stay with it, don't give up. 
there was a providence at work. And here's the last thought I'll give you. And finally, there came a praise. Finally, they were able to rejoice. You know when that happened? <laughs> Look at verses uh, 43, 44. Jesus has them take him to the tomb, take him to the tomb of Lazarus. And by the way, the shortest verse of the Bible is just above that. You know what it is? Jesus wept. If you have to memorize a scripture sometime for a test or something, there's your verse. <laughs> Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible. Somebody said, um, well, Jesus wept so that we would know that, um, so that he would know rather how we feel when we lose someone. And I thought about that. I thought, well, that, I guess that makes sense because he was human, just as much man as though he was never God, but it didn't make a lot of sense because he's just as much God as though he were never man, so wouldn't he in his divine nature know what we feel when we lose someone? So that didn't really help me. And then one day I kind of came to this conclusion, and I'll just share it with you, hopefully it'll help you. I believe he wept so that, not so that he would know how it feels, because he's God, he would know. He wept so that we would know that he knows how it feels. See the difference? That's why it says in Hebrews 11, you don't have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of your infirmities, but he was in all points tested and tempted as we are, yet he without sin. That means there's not a thing you can experience in life that Jesus can't pull right alongside you and say, I know how you feel. I know how you feel. I know what that's like. I know what you're going through. I know what that is. And here he was, he is standing outside the tomb. He had wept and notice what he did. He calls in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. <laughs> Somebody said the reason he had to point out Lazarus is because he had so much power that everyone who had ever died since Adam would have stepped out of their grave had he not specifically called Lazarus. I believe that. Can you imagine though, can you imagine for a minute being Lazarus? <laughs> now think about this. You may never have thought about it this way. Can you imagine being in heaven for four days and you get recalled? <laughs> Would that be awful? Have you ever thought about it? I mean, he's up there in heaven. There's mom, hey, mom, dad, there's a brother. Hey, there's my friends. Ooh, Jonah, Moses, all these, dude, tell me about the fish. I mean, all these things are going on. He's having a great time. And all of a sudden, Lazarus, come to the throne. <laughs> You're going back. Are you serious? Is this a bad joke? I mean, are you, are you telling me? What are you, what is this, what, what? Yes, you're going back, you're gonna live, and you're gonna die again. <laughs> and so Lazarus is recalled, right? Because out of the grave comes Lazarus just walking out of there, been dead four days, and Jesus says, take those grave clothes off of him. And when you follow his life, you know what Lazarus started doing? He started traveling with Jesus. I can show you verses where the Bible says, the people did not come just to hear Jesus only, they came to see Lazarus that he had raised from the dead. Back to point one. <laughs> the point is there were people who were going to come to Jesus because of Lazarus. That's what Jesus said when he was hanging out in Jerusalem and Lazarus first got sick. He's saying there will come a time when people are going to see me through you and people are gonna be brought to me as a result of you and it took what they went through to get to that point. You fast forward into heaven one day 
Can you imagine people in heaven one day walking up and hugging Lazarus saying, buddy, thank you for what you went through because when I heard you were dead and he had raised you from the dead, I had to come check you out. And when I got there, I heard about Jesus and he told me about his love for me and I, I gave my heart to him and I'm in heaven today because of what you've gone through. Friend, never minimize, never underestimate how God can take the painful experiences of your life and impact somebody else for his good and for his glory. One last word. I don't know how many of you have ever been to Enterprise, Alabama. Anybody been to Enterprise? Got a few of you here. Did you ever see the monument to the boll weevil when you were there? You see that, a few of you? That's a real thing, Google that. <laughs> it's a real thing. There's a monument to the boll weevil. And the reason that's there is in about 1915, there was this terrible plague of boll weevils. It was just moving across the farmland and we were an agricultural nation then and it was just wiping out crops. People were losing everything. And the, the cotton crop was being devastated. So all the guys got together and said, what are we gonna do? We're losing our farms, we're, our families, we're gonna be able to feed, what are we gonna do? And what they did is they changed their crop. They planted peanuts. And it actually became more valuable than the cotton. And so they changed their crop to a peanut and then in 1919 they said, you know what, we ought to recognize that boll weevil. <laughs> If it wasn't for the boll weevil, we would have never changed our, our whole lives. Nothing would have changed for us if it hadn't been for the boll weevil. And so in 1919, they put that monument up in Enterprise, Alabama, to the boll weevil. Sometimes we look at the boll weevils in life and we say, this isn't right. But if you fast forward and you look back at it, you may realize some of the hardest times in your life has been when God is doing some of his most significant work. Jesus said, you will weep and lament, but then he said, but your weeping will be turned into joy. He was talking about the cross. He was telling his apostles, you're, you're, you're on this side of the cross, and when you see me hang on the cross, you're gonna weep and you're going to cry. You're not gonna understand. But he said, when you get on the other side of the cross and you see me raised in glory, and you realize salvation is going to now completed, he said, the same thing that made you weep over here will be the very same thing you'll rejoice about over there. That's why I say, you've heard me say, I'll close it with this, second closing, so you know this one's a real one. <laughs> um, that's why I say a lot of earth's struggles and suffering may not make sense now. We may not get that full epiphany. We may not have the experience of the Marys and Marthas and Lazarus. It may only, only be in the presence of God one day when we're in heaven that all the cloudy and confusion becomes clear. It may only be then when we step into his. Glad Cindy Jean could be here. <laughs> I'll be okay. I'm glad I got to baptize those little boogers. Wasn't that fun? That was a lot of fun. Yeah. 
Let me finish that thought. I don't leave you hanging. But I think one day we get into heaven and I think at that point, all this will make sense. We're not there yet. <laughs> this ain't the sweet by and by. This is the nasty now and now. <laughs> so what do we do? We just do what Mary did. Yes, Lord. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord. Do I understand it? Can I fully explain it? No. But I just simply say, yes, Lord. Whatever it is and whatever it looks like, okie dokie, <laughs> yes, Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the assurance we have that you do all things well. I pray this morning for my friends who are struggling, many in the room and many who watch online are going through stuff. Everybody's going through something. Father, help us just to realize that you are too good to do wrong and you are too wise to make a mistake. You have a plan. So in the midst of the cloudy, in the midst of the confusion, help us just to stay faithful, keep trusting. Job said, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. Help us to have that dogged determination not to give up or give in or give out, to stay joyful, to have peace, to be focused on our faith and our trust in God who cannot fail. I pray for my friends this morning who may never have trusted you. This might be the moment when they swallow their pride and humble their heart and say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart and forgive my sin. I believe you died on the cross and I believe you rose again and this morning with all that is in me. I trust you. Thank you again for Chris and Allison sharing their story and for the thousands of people that will be impacted by what you're, you've done and are doing in their lives. And finally, Lord, for those who just need someone to pray for them before they go home, I pray as soon as I dismiss, they'll make their way here to the front and let someone spend a few minutes and just to pray for them and encourage them. Thank you, Father, for the joy of knowing Jesus, for the joy it is to make you known in whose name we pray, amen. God bless you. Have a great rest of your weekend. Thank you so much for tuning in today with us. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us so that we can follow up with you this week by visiting metchurch.com. We look forward to seeing you again next week.